way to uh, celebrate the season. It's good to be back with you this week. Uh, I appreciate uh, Jeff Wheeler being on uh, standby even until 9 o'clock Saturday night to get the okay that he would come and preach. When we found out that, yep, um, Sherilyn is going to deliver Saturday night, and our eighth and grandchild, sixth granddaughter, uh, Landry Nell, was born at 1019 on 12, 13, 14. So we were hoping maybe she'd make it 10, uh, at 10, 11, 11 minutes after 10, so then she'd have birth date would be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. But anyway, she was here, safe and sound, everybody's happy. That same night, Philip and Emily Ann, a daughter and son-in-law, and three children were moving downstairs, so we have 10 in the house now, and um, it's an exciting time. We haven't had uh, young children in our house the week uh, of Christmas, which we're having now, uh, in a long time. And one of the interesting things is, is that the two older boys in, uh, that Emily Ann and Philip have uh, wrote letters to Santa Claus, and I, I happened to find them where they had left them and read them, and they were interesting. And then, so I did a little little study, and found out that um, Santa Claus has um, has come into the 21st century. He's got an email where you can send him your wishes by email. It's simply at emailsanta.com. And they get about a million a year on these. I just want to share a few of them with you because I think they are, they are enlightening. Uh, a boy named John wrote and said, I'm sorry, but I don't have a chimney. I'll leave the cat flap unlocked for you. <laughs> but please watch out for the litter box. And Alex, eight years old, said, thank you for the remote control car last year, even though it broke the day after. I, I know you tried, and that's what counts. Uh, and then there's Art, <laughs> mischievous little boy. He says, I'm sorry for putting all that X-Lax in your milk last year. He said, my dad was really mad. <laughs> oh, I bet he was busy that night, too. girl by the name of Christian emailed Santa and said, Mommy and Daddy say I've not been uh, very good these past few days. How bad do I have to be before I lose my presence? And then Roseanne 11, though, has got a legitimate, I think, a very legitimate letter she sent. Simple question. Do you know Jesus? This is to Santa now. Her letter says, Do you know Jesus is the real reason of Christmas? She says, Not to be mean, but he is. Well, you know, Roxanne asked and answered a, a very appropriate question because even though we celebrate every year once again during this wonderful Christmas season, the birth of Christ, multitudes of people who even celebrate Christmas don't really know the full story. They don't understand the real story of Christmas and why we celebrate. They might be familiar with some of the characters of Mary and Joseph and the angels and the, and the shepherds and the wise men uh, and the baby Jesus, of course. But I think there is a, a lack of knowledge about that. And so, what I thought today about is not an ordinary baby. I thought about this is a time for us to focus in on, on the real Christmas story. And not out of Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel that we're most familiar with because they're in the narrative format. But out of John's gospel. The fisherman John would write. And I want you to hear, read along with me, follow along. Uh, in John chapter 1, how he introduces not only his gospel, but that he introduces to us to Jesus and how he had him birthed into this world. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, obviously, what's missing there are are the familiar sights and people that we're familiar with Mary, Joseph, and and the baby, and the angels, the shepherds, and all of that. But yet, this is is John's approach to bringing Jesus into the world. And, And he does so. Not from a narrative perspective like Matthew did or Luke, but from a very theological standpoint. And from that we learn the real story of Christmas. And I just want to put it to you in three very simple observations. First of all, uh, the real story of Christmas says to us that the living God became one of us. The living God became one of us. The living God of all time and place became a human being. He became one of us. He became a man. The theological word for that is incarnation, which means in fleshness. And so Christmas is celebrating the enfleshment of the God who always has been and who always will be. And it struck me this week that here's a way to describe Christmas from this theological perspective, and that is Christmas is the intersection of eternity and humanity. That this is where God meets us from all eternity. You see, God became a man. And that's the real story that surfaces in the Christmas story. And that's the message that needs to be on the internet and on Facebook and tweeted out all over our nation, all over the world. That God became a man. And it was God's idea to reveal himself to us in human form. It was his idea to come to us uh, us as a babe in flesh, uh, to be vulnerable and, and to need care and love. He chose to reveal himself in that way. And then gave the, the message that said, this will be a sign to you. That you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And I think somehow we can better relate to the story that Matthew gives about Joseph's struggle to accept Mary and what God has done through Mary. And when we read Luke's account... I think we can, we can better understand uh, Mary. We can relate to her and the fact that she's just in awe that God would choose her of all the women in the world uh, to bring himself as a human being into the world through the birth of Jesus. But when we come to the Gospel of John, I think we have to kind of scratch our head and dig a little bit deeper because John's account is obviously completely different. It's void of all the, the normal things that we see in Christmas pageants. But listen again what he says as he introduces this. 
He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that that, uh, John uses for word here is the Greek word logos. It comes into our English language in the term of logic and logical. And one who is logical is one who lives by logic, and one who is logical is one who lives by the logo. So, you've got to ask the question, at least I think so. Why does John take this approach? Why does he start out by talking about in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God? You know, why didn't he use other names in reference to Jesus that he does throughout his gospel? Why didn't he use the word Son? In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was God. Because he called him that in his gospel. Uh, why didn't he use one of the many titles by which he identifies Jesus? You know, he is Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, he is the Lord. Why didn't he say, in the beginning was the Lord, and the Lord was with God? And the Lord was God. Well, it's because he used the word logos and used the concept of the word because John wanted to hook the minds of people in that day and that time. And for the prevalent mindset in that day, the Logos, the Word, was that by which the living God communicated to humanity. See, the Logos was not personal in any means, but it was the way that God communicated to His people. And they based that on simply Genesis 1. That says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said. You see, that's the Logos. The Word is the means by which God acts in the world, creating, revealing, and redeeming. I guess we could say in short that the Logos or the Word is God's way of expressing Himself. And God chose during the birth of Christ in this Christmas season to come to us and to be vulnerable and helpless as a babe, to take on human flesh. This God who has existed from the beginning of time and before has come to us to be one of us. Now, the second observation then is this, and that is that the creator of the universe became a creation. John is very careful in his writing to be theologically sound, to say that that everything was created through the Word, that is, through Christ, and nothing that is was created without having been created through Christ. And so, what John wants us to understand is that when we know that the Christ was born as a babe, that Mary's child, the man from Galilee, the one who walked and ate and played and loved other people was real flesh and blood, and that he was none other than the maker of the entire universe. That helps us get a better handle on the fact that when we read through the Gospels and we see Jesus who loved to be with people and who enjoyed life so much that He would laugh so much in the process of life that the religious persecutors would declare that He was drunk. Or the man who weeps so deeply at the death of his friend Lazarus that this is none other than God in the flesh. This is the Creator of the universe. And this God who rested beside a well and asked a Samaritan woman to bring him a drink of water is the God of all creation who has come to earth. 
And God, through Jesus Christ, is the one who created everything and in doing so created the atoms of hydrogen and the atoms of oxygen and then decided that it would take two atoms of hydrogen and one of oxygen to make that water. Isn't that absolutely amazing and mind-blowing? It's almost unbelievable. In fact, for some people it is. Think about the world around us and the beauty of the splendor of the night, and especially as you read the Christmas story in Luke and about what was taking place that night. Those who study the nights and the skies tell us that by conservative estimate, there are about 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. That's 10 billion trillion. That's 10 followed by 15 zeros. I don't have that kind of account in my banking account. Maybe you do. But what he says is, by him, by the Logos, the Word, who is Christ, all things were made. At the center of our solar system is the star that we call the sun. And every minute the sun pours out six billion quadrillion calories of heat. How many is that? That's six followed by 27 zeros every minute. And John says, by him all things were made. And yet scientists will tell us that the energy produced by our sun is nothing compared to a galaxy fairly recently discovered by astrophysicists that's 300 million light years away and it shines with 2 trillion times greater energy than our sun. That's 2 trillion times greater. Now those numbers just blow me away. There's nothing I can make to comparison. I threw the thing in there about money is that normally if you can make a comparison to large numbers or small numbers to money, you can understand it. There's no way you can really understand this. You just have to accept it. So here's how we apply it. Think about it this way. When Caesar Augustus thought he ruled the world, the one who spoke, all those galaxies and the stars and the whirling space lay speechless in a manger in Bethlehem. When Quirinius was governor of Syria and proposed this ridiculous tax, all of which God used in his time, the star maker himself entrusted himself to a teenage Jewish girl. And when Herod the Great was strutting his power across the world, God the Logos needed a mother to feed him and to change his diapers. Many people have tried to express it in comprehensible ways. And maybe C.S. Lewis came the best beyond the gospel accounts when he said, the creator of the universe became a creation. In our world too, he said, a stable once had something in it bigger than the whole world. Now, here's the third observation. And this is where it really takes on personal meaning for every one of us. The living word transforms our world. That's the reality of why God came to us. Not to show himself that, hey, look what I can do. I can make myself as the God of all time and place and the one who created everything and part of this great triune God that I can become a human being as well. No, God came for a reason. He came to transform our world. And by doing that, he came to transform our life. You see, that's the real story of Christmas. Let me share with you another real story. It comes from one of our uh, favorite secular songs, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
Uh, and, and the origin behind that, I think I got it out of a book by Ace Collins. Rick uh, used that uh, as a devotion one uh, Monday morning in staff meeting, I think first Monday in December, I think it was, talking about the origin of Christmas celebrations. And then Ace has got out a couple other ones about the origin of the hymns, I think, and even the secular songs. Well, the origin of um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer goes all the way back to 1939 when the department store Montgomery Ward uh, wanted a poem about Christmas to put it in kind of a comic book form so that uh, they could give it out to the children during Christmas. And so a man by the name of Robert May wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That first year they gave out 2.5 million copies. And by 1946 they had given out 6 million copies of the poem. Well Robert May decided he wanted to take that story that he had created of Rudolph and put it to music. And so he had his brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, to write the music for it. And then they just asked, well, who are we going to get to sing it? So they went to Bing Crosby. He turned it down. They went to Dinah Shore, and she turned it down. Then they went to the man who you hear most of the time sing it, and that was who? Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, one of my heroes from Saturday morning. Now, that song is so popular that it... Some people have said it's the best-selling, and others have said it's second only to White Christmas. I would tend to believe it's probably second to White Christmas in terms of the secular stuff. Now, why do I share with you that story, saying it's a real-life story? Well, when you think about Rudolph, what's the story about Rudolph? He had some kind of disfigurement. He had this bright red nose that glowed like a light bulb, you know, like he had been in dibbing in, in, in Christmas spirits for a long, long time. You know, his nose started glowing. And they ostracized him. None of the other reindeer would let him play reindeer games. He had, he had something wrong with him that pushed him aside. And nobody wanted to be around him. But on that foggy night, who did, who did Santa Claus come and use to guide his sleigh? Rudolph. All the other reindeer were amazed. Now how does that relate to you and me? Well, you see, God looked down upon us. And he saw that all of us had this disfigurement called sin. And we were marred by sin. We'd all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And God couldn't have anything to do with us because of that sin because He's holy and righteous. But when He came to us as the babe in Bethlehem, as the Logos, the, 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 the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, He came as Jesus Christ. He came so that through His grace we could be accepted and we could be forgiven. And we could live in relationship with God. You see, that's what John says in verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, that's the real story of Christmas. That God came to us through Jesus Christ so that we could be born again and we could be children of God. Now, what's the implications for us? Well, I think there are several. First of all, I think it means that we are granted a greater sense of dignity because God became one of us. And that ought to translate into our daily life every day that, that since God has honored us coming to earth in, in our form, that we need to be more like God. We need to be more God-like and Christ-like. Secondly, I think we ought to be able to see the depth of the love of God. That He would leave the glories of heaven, come to this world, go through all that He did uh, in the 33 years on this earth, 
and then ultimately give himself on the cross to be a propitiation for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Thirdly, then, that means that we experience comfort in every tough time in our life because Jesus walked the dusty roads of life just like you and I do. And the Scripture tells us that He's made a high priest so that He can sympathize with us and empathize with you at the same time. And then I think it also means that we have hope for the future. See, from that stable in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve, God forever wedded Himself to our humanity. Once again, that intersection of eternity and humanity. And our future is as secure as God is. And God is very secure. Now, what does that also mean to us then about the real story of Christmas? It means that these almost unbelievable claims of Jesus can be believed. Because Jesus is Mary's Son and God in the flesh. Now, of course, Jesus would say things that nobody else would say. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And because Mary's boy is God to whom we must one day give an account, and He says to us, your sins are forgiven, we can believe it and accept it because He is God in the flesh. And because Mary's boy is the Creator wrapped in flesh and He cries from the cross, it is finished, then we can believe that everything necessary in God's plan for our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, has been completed. And when we hear Jesus speak to us and say, follow me, then we ought to know without any doubt that He knows where He's going. And the best path in life that we can take and the smartest thing in life to do is to commit our life to Him and to follow after Him. Many of you have sent us Christmas cards and we appreciate that. And I just, uh, I love to open them and read them, especially read the message that's there. One Christmas card had this message on it. The Word, appropriate for today, did not become a philosophy to be discussed, a theory to be debated, a concept to be pondered. The Word became a person to be followed, enjoyed, and loved. You see, that is the real story of Christmas. And so I challenge you during this wonderful Christmas season, uh, even though the cast in our drama said Christmas comes at a terrible time, <laughs> Christmas comes at a wonderful time in God's timing, just when we needed Him. So my challenge to you is, is in all of your celebration, understand, claim this real story of Christmas. And know that Jesus is to be followed, enjoyed, and loved. Father, today we thank You for drawing us one day closer to the, to the manger where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and Your entrance into this world and into our lives. And I pray, Father, that we would come to understand this real story of Christmas in a way that we would trust You with absolute faith for our life, for our salvation, and for everything in our life. And I would pray today that there would be those who would have uh, uh, just the desire in their heart to accept the gift of Christmas, which is Christ, and the gift of salvation, and make that decision through this wonderful time. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.